once more. Father, at this time we come to the point in our service of worship where we turn our hearts and our minds, our attention, our focus to your word. Lord, nobody is here to listen to the foolish ramblings of a frail and inadequate preacher. But God, we are present and accounted for today because we long to hear from you, Holy Spirit. So God, we ask that in spite of my weaknesses, in spite of my shortcomings, that Father, you would speak with my mouth, you would think with my mind, that you would use me as your vessel to deliver your message to us as a church. God, we ask as humbly and boldly as we can that you would convict us of where we have failed, that you would challenge us and motivate us to live out the gospel. Father, that you would comfort those of us who are hurting, that you would encourage those of us who are downcast. God, all this is possible through the reading and teaching and proclamation of your holy word. So, God, would you speak to us now as we, your children, sit and listen. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, the Christ, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me once again for the final time to the book of Philemon. We will be in the New Testament book of Philemon. So if you have your phone or uh, Bible with you, you are, feel free to take that and turn and follow along. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew that's there in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible as our gift to you. We will replenish it. We will purchase another one or we'll do something. Don't worry about it. You take that one home as our gift to you. As you're looking for the letter to Philemon, you'll find in the New Testament the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts and Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then you get to our General Electric Power Cooperative, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. After you hit Colossians, you're going to get to all the T's, all the T letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then Titus. And right after Titus, but there on the doorstep to the book of Hebrews, you'll find tucked away this probably one page in your Bible letter to a man named Philemon. As you find your place in sacred scripture, I would encourage, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. I will read for us verses 1 through 25, which is the entirety of the letter. When I have completed verse 25, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now at Philemon, beginning in verse 1. Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord and for all the saints, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake. I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say at the same time. Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. For two weeks, we began to look at this book called Philemon. I know that there are many pronunciations of this book. I know some have called it Philemon. I know that my whole life I've called it Philemon. I I have no idea where that came from or where those other translations and interpretations come from, but I assure you I have listened to numerous well-respected scholars and pastors, and the best analogy that I could give for it is if you joined some sort of sorority or fraternity that was called Phi Kappa Phi or something like like that. That's the same letter that the book of Philemon begins with. So it is Philemon. So I am struggling to remember that. If in the course of this sermon you hear me say Philemon, just bear with me. It's Philemon. I'm adjusting to it. You can adjust to it. We're learning together. So we spent two weeks in this lovely letter already. And the first week we talked about how this letter is a picture of the gospel. This letter can be summed up in one word, and that one word is reconciliation. And honestly, if we think about it, the entirety of Scripture can be summed up in one word. That same word, the gospel message, is a message of reconciliation. It's a message of the restoring of right relationships, the restoring of harmonious relationships between God and humanity. 
And so that's what the gospel is about. That's what the Bible is teaching us about how God in Christ Jesus is reconciling the world to himself. He didn't have to do that. That wasn't required of God. Nothing is required of God Almighty. He spoke and all the universe came to be. And so he's the one that makes the rules. And whether he abides by his own rules is his own decision. And so there is nothing required of God. He gives humanity the free will to choose to let him be God and trust him or to choose to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and choose to be God for themselves, to choose to rebel and be a traitor against him and say, I can be God for myself. And we do every single one of us. It's not just a problem that started with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's problem was not just eating of forbidden fruit. It was what the fruit represented. It was the pride in I want to know and I want to be God for myself. At that very moment, what God should have done is wipe humanity off the face of the earth. He could completely destroy the universe that he created with as little effort as he created it. But instead, he chose To reconcile us. He chose to make a way for there to be no ill will between him and us. And that is the story of Philemon. There's a a man who's a bondservant. He's a slave. And he's living in the house of a man named Philemon who's very wealthy. And a church actually meets in his house. That's how wealthy he is. That's how large his house is. And Onesimus is a slave in this man's house. His name, Onesimus, means useful. And it's, it's very likely that Philemon gave Onesimus that name and called him useful. I want you to think of very similar circumstances of Joseph in Potiphar's house. Everything that was entrusted to Joseph, Potiphar didn't worry about again. That's why Onesimus gets the name useful. Everything that's entrusted to Onesimus goes smoothly, goes well. But Philemon leaves to go on a trip or something. He's out of the house for some reason. And Onesimus takes this as his opportunity. And this man who has been the most trusted servant in Philemon's household steals from his master and absconds to be free from slavery and bondage. And he steals so that he can make a 1,500-mile journey all the way to Rome. But what's incredible is in God's divine sovereignty, not only did Philemon come to know Jesus by meeting the Apostle Paul, but Onesimus runs into the Apostle Paul in Rome and meets Jesus. And so when Onesimus explains the connection back to the city of Colossae and the man Philemon, Paul says to Onesimus, brother, you have to go back. The gospel demands that you go back and make it right. You left and there was a debt that you owed and then you stole to make that debt even greater so that you could come to Rome. You have to go back. And remember, if the journey to Rome was expensive enough, that Onesimus must have stolen to fund his way to Rome, that must mean that it came at extreme personal expense, both to Paul and Onesimus, to arrange for his travel back to Colossae. And Onesimus shows back up a thief, having betrayed Philemon's trust in the deepest way. He was as trusted of a servant as there was, and yet he lied and betrayed and deceived. And so there he stands in front of Philemon, 
Most scholars believe that Aphia is Philemon's wife. Most scholars say that Archippus is their son. I just like to call him Archie. So there's Philemon, there's Aphia, and there's Archie standing there with this man who stole from them probably precious valuables that had sentimental value that he could sell, left their household, abandoned them, and he stands holding a letter that we read this morning and gives it to them. And they read, and Paul says, count the debt to me and receive him not as a slave, but as a brother. Receive him the same way you would receive me. This is the heart of the gospel. That we owe God a debt we could never pay. And that God sent his son to die the death we deserve. To pay the debt that we owed that he did not. And Jesus takes our place so that we can be in right relationship with God the Father. So we looked at that the first week. The second week we talked about, well, what does this mean for those of us who have been Onesimus? And I want us to remember everybody in this room at one point or another in their life or at one point coming up in your life, you have been or you will be Onesimus. I have been Onesimus. Remember the quote that we talked about from Tom Schrader. If sin were a color, it would be blue and we would all be Smurfs. So everybody here is a sinner. Everybody here is covered head to toe in sin. It's eaten us up with all that we have. There's no way to escape that all of us, in one way or another, both to God and probably to somebody else in our social circle or in our in our most intimate relationships, has been Onesimus. I, let's just do something to just clear the air a little bit, okay? I, I want audience participation. This is your opportunity. Everybody, if you're an introvert, I'm a sorry ahead of time for this. I want you to look to somebody sitting around you. All right. If you're on the front row, you can look behind you or you can look to somebody beside you. And I want you to say, hello, sinner. Hey, what? well, hang on now. Some of y'all, some of y'all a little too excited to be saying that to somebody. All right. All right. Somebody getting a little angst out. Well, hello, sinner. But it's true. Everybody in this room, we're all sinners. We've all failed. We've all been Onesimus. And so we looked at what is required of Onesimus, and it's that we go back, right? It's that we go to the one that we have offended, and we apologize genuinely. Not those garbage, fake apologies. I'm so sorry that you took that the wrong way. But that's not what I meant. That's not an apology, As an Onesimus, we go back and we say, I messed up and I am sorry. I'm owning what I did wrong and I'm telling you I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it right. That's the responsibility of the Onesimus. That's why when we cry out to God, we don't say, God, I'm sorry that you took my sin the wrong way. I'm sorry that you interpreted my rebellion against you wrongly and you got really heated at me and, you know, all that wrath and everything. I'm sorry you feel that way. I just want to clear the air with you. You think that's going to work with God? Is that going to fly with the Lord in heaven, the master, the one who spoke the universe into existence? It's going to fly with him about as well as it will fly with your spouse. How many husbands have tried to apologize to their wife that way, only to their terrible chagrin? You, you only do it once, guys. If you do it more than once, shame on you, all right? You just, you've you got to learn from your mistakes. How many wives have tried to apologize to husbands that way, and we as husbands just go, yeah, I know what you're doing. I can't really be mad about it, but I can't say anything back. But you're not really apologizing. I know it. 
As Onesimus says, we are the offenders. We go to the offended and we say, I messed up and I want to own it. Because this relationship matters too much. Especially when it's between a brother and a sister in Christ. When it is somebody who says, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And the same Holy Spirit living in me is living in you, Billy. And I can't just say, I know I've really made Billy mad, but I'm just going to be all right with that and live the rest of my life. That's not the gospel. It is required of the Onesimus to go to the offended and say, I have messed up. And for the sake of the gospel, because you believe in Jesus, because I believe in Jesus, I've got to make it right. I got to do whatever it takes. And I am sorry that I have failed you in this way. I'm sorry that I have let you down. And here's what I'm going to do to make it right. So now this morning, what if you're Philemon? Because not only have all of us been Onesimus, I'm pretty sure all of us in here have been Philemon once or twice. Can you imagine? I know I joked the first time that we looked at this passage and I talked about when Aphia comes and is listening to the letter being read. When she sees Onesimus, she goes, I can't believe you. You stole that brooch. It belonged to my great grandmother. It's possible that Onesimus robbed from them things that were that sentimental that are now gone. A large sum of money was stolen. Their privacy was invaded. And here is this man standing in front of them once again. Folks, i got to be honest with you, I struggle with forgiveness. I struggle with forgiveness. And when I see Onesimus standing in front of me, I want to take a jab. I want to take a punch. Even if it's some sarcastic, underhanded, snide remark, I want to do something to let them know, hey, I'm still pretty ticked off at what you did. But let's look at what Paul writes in this letter. I want us to notice that Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and for redemptive purposes. But there is a lot of passive aggressive language in this letter where he is compelling Philemon to do the right thing. Look back with me at these verses. He starts off and he's, he's, he's being so nice in verse four. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He spends verses 4 through 7 saying true things, saying honest things. But it would be easy for us to look at that passage and go, you know, it's possible that Paul's just buttering Philemon up because he's got a big ask that he's going to have in just a moment. And then look what he does in verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you. Look, if we all have read any of Paul's other letters, especially something like 1 Corinthians, especially when we went through Galatians, we know that Paul is bold enough to demand and command some things of those that he is instructing in Christ Jesus. But he refrains. Maybe there are some redemptive, passively aggressive statements in here, but Paul has the authority and the right to tell Philemon what he has to do. As Philemon's father in the ministry, Philemon knows Jesus because of Paul. Because of that, he has the right to say, as the one who led you to Christ, I'm telling you, you got to forgive this guy. He, He doesn't say that, though. He says, accordingly, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do What is required? Don't leave that last word off. If you're Philemon here this morning and you've been hurt in a small way or a big way, 
It says what is required. If your roommate really made you mad because they drank all of your orange juice that you bought at the store and then things are just kind of rough with each other. If your spouse is really grating under your last nerve. If there's an employee who's robbed from you. If you have all sorts of different issues and you think, I'm going to just write them off and never think of them again. I'm sure that's where Philemon was. But there's something more that is required of those who believe in the gospel. I have to believe that Philemon went through all the stages of grief, right? He got angry. He denied. There's no way that Onesimus did this to me. There's no way that this happened. He's denying it. He's bargaining. Man, you know, if he would just come back, then we could do this and we can make it right. He goes through sadness. He goes through acceptance. He goes through this grief. And, and then at some point in being so frustrated at, Phile- at Philemon is at Onesimus, he has to go, you know what? Better off without him. Better off moving on with my life and just pretending that he's dead. How many people in our lives have we treated that way? How many fellow Christians have we treated in our lives that way? You know what? I'm just going to go to this other church over here, or maybe it's a mega church. I'll just go to a different service that that church has. I'll just avoid that person at all costs, and we'll just pretend like they don't exist, and we'll just move on with life. The gospel does not allow us to have a brother or sister in Christ that we just write off. That's not what God did for us. He could have. He would have been well within his rights, but he didn't. And we are the ambassadors of that message of reconciliation. This is not one of those situations where you can say, well, in my checkbook, I say I got this much money. And in the bank, they say I've got this much money. And it's only about 10 cents off. Ah, we'll just be all right. 10 cents is 10 cents. No big deal. I'm good for a dime. I won't drill down deep. No, the gospel requires we drill down deep and make it right. That means that when we are Philemon, it is a requirement that we offer forgiveness. And you might think, look, I I just don't understand, preacher. I just don't get why it's that big of a deal. Turn with me once again to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Paul writes, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. When we are in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And we look at other people who are in Christ Jesus and we no longer account them according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And listen to this, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
when we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive those who have trespassed against us, it is us living out the message of reconciliation. Can you imagine trying to share the gospel with somebody who knows that within your church there is a family that you don't speak to? That you're no longer on speaking terms with. That you have abandoned completely because they didn't invite you to the supper club that time. And you know what? I don't need them. I'll go form my own supper club. And you're trying to share the gospel. And let me tell you about how good God is. Let me tell you about how wayward I was and how God should have killed me. But he decided to keep me and he made things right between us. And they go, wow, that's incredible. And so I guess that's that's taken over your life now, right? Yes, it has. That's who I am. That's how I live. Well, then how come you and Jan ain't talked in 10 years? Well, uh, that's, that's a different situation. I mean, there's just, you don't understand what Jan did to me. I mean, it was just, it's just, look, we're not talking about me right now. We're talking about the gospel. Don't you want to hear the gospel? Nah. If you can say it that easy, but you could just live your life. Somebody else over there says they believe in Jesus too. And you just ain't even talk to them because you're mad at them. You can't make things right. I don't want to hear what you got to say. Folks, the message of reconciliation is what God did for us. And it is what is required of us. Now look, I don't want us to get all tied up in this and think that as Christians, we're supposed to just let everybody walk all over us. Especially if we're talking about very serious crimes and offenses like murder or some sort of molestation or abuse. The Bible doesn't tell you that there are no consequences. The Bible does not teach us that forgiveness erases all consequences. The Bible teaches us that forgiveness is holding no ill will. Forgiveness is the restoration of harmonious relationships. That's what's part of reconciliation, but there are still consequences. Even in the book of Philemon, even in the book of Philemon, Paul says, whatever he owes to you, and he knows. Paul's writing, he knows how much Onesimus owes. He says, I want you to count that on my account. Not to mention you owe your whole life to me, but that's beside the point. I want you to account everything that Onesimus owns, owes to you, I now Oh, to you. There were still consequences when Onesimus showed up. Philemon offers forgiveness and Paul comes in and says, I'll handle the consequences. There is a place biblically for those who commit heinous crimes to suffer in jail for the rest of their lives. And those are the consequences that they justly deserve and should receive. There's also a place for Christians To reach down and allow the Holy Spirit to overwhelm us and hold no ill will towards those who have wronged us. Even as we pursue justice. Even as they rot in jail for the rest of their lives because of their murder. It's a wonderful story of a woman on death row who came to know Jesus. And she changed her life. And after years on death row, they finally tried to offer her a pardon. She wouldn't take it. She said, I know that I'm right with the Lord. And I know that I've made it right with that family. But these are the consequences for what I did. And she died. And everyone stood in awe. And they said, I I don't understand. 
And it was one of the greatest witnesses. Folks, we have to understand there are consequences for our actions. And those consequences can't just be erased. This is also true in our salvation. If forgiveness just wiped everything away and there was no need for death to be involved, why would Jesus have come and died on a cross? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The wages, the consequences, what we justly deserve for sin is death. And it's not that God just offered a pardon and said that death is no longer on the table. Somebody had to die. And Jesus died for us. The way we're reconciled is that the consequences of our sin were handled in Christ Jesus. And so now we can have a right relationship. Now there can be no ill will between us and God the Father. And Jesus did it of his own accord. He wasn't forced to. The same way that Paul says to Philemon, I don't want to compel you to do this, but I want to tell you this is the right thing to do. God said, somebody needs to go and save them. And Jesus said, I'll do it. Jesus, you're here at my right hand. You're here in the glories and wonders of heaven. You don't have to step down into their muck. I know. But I will. I'll do it. Somebody needs to do this. Somebody needs to stand in the gap. I'll do it of my own free will. Do you not remember that legions upon legions of angels were waiting to swoop down and rip him off of that cross and restore him to full health and all power and strength. And then the whole world could have just been wiped away. They're waiting with bated breath, ready for the command, ready for the word. Jesus never tells them to come. Of his own accord, he lays down his life because there were consequences for our sin. He takes the wrath that we deserved, so now forgiveness is available. But just like that woman who refused her pardon, you can't force somebody to take a pardon. The pardon is offered, but it has to be accepted. Folks, one thing that the letter of Philemon teaches teaches us is that reconciliation is required. It's required. And too often we have written somebody off and just said, well, I just won't have anything to do with them. We've gone years without talking to friends or relatives, brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we get so offended by how somebody has wronged us, What I find every time in my own heart is that I forget how offensive I've been to the Lord Jesus. I make my sin look real small. But when somebody sins against me, I have this capacity to make it look real big. You know, when somebody's having their gallbladder taken out, we usually think, ah, it's not that big deal of a surgery. No no worries. You'll be be back three, four days. You'll be sore for a little bit. You'll be fine. But just... Just talk to somebody who's got to have gallbladder surgery. There are some complications that are possible. Gallbladder surgery can turn south real quick. So when somebody says, oh, it's gallbladder surgery, and everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. Minor surgery, right? When I'm having surgery, it ain't no minor surgery. When you're having surgery, it could be minor surgery. But that gallbladder surgery is a big deal to me. Isn't it the same way with our sin? Isn't it the same way when somebody offends us? You don't know. They didn't invite me. I wanted to go. I wanted to be a part of that social group, and they won't let me. 
They stole from me. I had valuable stuff and they took it as their own and they sold it. I trusted them and they stabbed me in the back. They cheated on me. You don't understand. Boy, some of those things are serious. Some of those things are real heavy. You're right. That's hard. That's tough to deal with. But at the end of the day, when it's that hard to deal with, I'm forgetting how hard to deal with I am for God. I'm forgetting how I've sinned against Him in every way imaginable. I'm forgetting that my pride and my selfishness and my narcissism has put Him in last place and I sit on the throne of my heart. And I forget how incredibly repugnant and offensive and grotesque my sin is. And He died for my sin anyway. And I want to be self-righteous. I've been a good man. And because I've been a good man, you owe me an apology. And I will hold it over your head even after you apologize. Paul says, receive him. Receive him back. And don't receive him back as a slave. Receive him back like you'd receive me. And by the way, in case you're wondering, I'm coming to see how you do. Did you catch that? Look with me at the end of these verses. It's crazy, right? He says... Count it to my account. I write this in my own hand. Yes. And then verse 21. Confident of your obedience. I know you're going to do this. I write to you. Knowing that you're going to do even more than I say. Look at verse 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers I will graciously be given to you. Hey guys, I'm coming. If you don't receive him back as a brother, I'll know because I'm coming to your house. Does that not remind you? God's trusted us with a message of reconciliation. He's called us to be his ambassadors. He's called us to be people of forgiveness. In Matthew and Mark and in Luke, there's numerous stories about the measure with which we measure is how we will be measured. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive those who trespass against me as I forgive those Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. Forgiveness is built into the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. And then he says, you carry that message of reconciliation. The church is not supposed to be perfect, but it's supposed to be a place where we reconcile with one another, no matter the hurt. And Jesus says, prepare a room for me. One day I'm coming. And I'm going to know. If you obeyed or not, I'm going to know if you held a grudge or not. Paul says, prepare a room for me, Philemon, because one of these days I'm hoping God's going to bust me up out of this prison and I'm coming to visit your house in Colossae and we're going to have a great church service. That's a wonderful thing to say. But in the back of Philemon's mind, he's got to be thinking, if I don't do this, Paul's coming here one day. We don't know when that day will be. We're not even really sure if that day ever happened. But Paul said, I'm coming. Folks, Jesus said, I'm entrusting this message of reconciliation to you. Forgiveness is required. By the way, I'll be coming for you one day. Gospel of Matthew tells us we'll give an account for every careless word and deed. I don't know what that looks like. I know that we're forgiven and there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I also know we got to give an account. And there'll be a day where we have to stand before Jesus. And he'll be like, 
Let me just take out this list that rolls out and just plows through the door back there of all the ways that you sinned against me. Oh, they're covered under the blood. So how would you forgive people? How would you do on that? You know, when, you, when your wife really made you mad and said some snide things, how would you do on forgiving her and restoring right relationships? When your brother didn't talk to your mom and so it made you mad, how did you restore right relationships? How did you restore a harmonious relationship? How did you eliminate the ill will towards one another? He's coming one day and he's going to know. He's entrusted us with a message of reconciliation. He's forgiven us of a debt that is insurmountable. And he's entrusted us to forgive others the way that we've been forgiven. Folks, it's only possible by the Holy Spirit. Are you trusting and leaning in God and saying, God, you're so forgiving and I'm so not. Help me to forgive. Lord, help me to forgive. When we pray that prayer, when we beg of the Lord, when we seek the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will move on us to help us be people of reconciliation. But I wonder this morning, Philemon, who's been your Onesimus? Who's left you out? Preacher, it's really easy for you to say that. But you know what? Paul did that with Barnabas. You know, some of y'all might remember that. Paul did do that with Barnabas, didn't he? Paul and Barnabas, they went on missionary journeys, Acts chapter 15. And then John Mark is going with them. And John Mark abandons them in the middle of the missionary journey. And so John Mark's gone and they're going to go on a second journey. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us again. And Paul says, uh-uh, I ain't taking that boy with me. He's useless. Useless. He can't go with me. There arose a sharp disagreement, Scripture says. A sharp disagreement. Barnabas takes John Mark, they go one way. Paul takes Silas and they go another way. I want us to look at the very last few words of this letter. Look when he's saying in verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Mark's with him in Rome. Did you catch that? Mark is with Paul in Rome. That is John Mark. Now look with me at the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Demas was with Paul when he wrote Philemon. Verse 10, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. What does he say there? Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very Onesimus to me for ministry. The word Onesimus just means useful. It's the same Greek word right there as the name Onesimus. Paul lived reconciliation. He made up with John Mark. Man, he called useless, became useful. Onesimus, that was his name, became useless. But in Christ, he became useful. And he called Philemon 
to forgive and be a person of reconciliation. Paul examples this for us. Jesus lives this for us. Question this morning. If you're Philemon, are you going to live this? Are you going to make a way for reconciliation? doesn't mean the consequences are gone, but are you going to make a way for holding no more ill will over those who have wronged you? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to move in your heart in that way? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I know that there have been many times in my life where I have been utterly useless. Thank you that you didn't give up on me. Thank you that you deem me as useful. God, many of us have been very hurt in numerous ways in our lives. Some hurts much deeper, much older than others. Oh, but God, you have forgiven us of so much. Lord, help us. Cause us, God, by the power of your Spirit to be people of forgiveness. Lord, that we might live out Romans twelve eighteen As far as it depends on us, we do everything in our power to be at peace with those around us. God, help us to be people of forgiveness. And thank you for your ultimate gift of forgiveness. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of you, our God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Because you are rich in mercy, because you are a God of forgiveness, you poured out the wrath on Jesus and offered the forgiveness and the reconciliation to us. Lord, if there's anyone here listening, or anyone tuning in online that has not trusted in you, has not believed in this message of reconciliation, would you move on their heart and draw them unto yourself this morning? God, if there are those here this morning struggling to forgive, help us, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to be people of forgiveness. Spirit, would you move among us now as we have a time to respond to you? We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, I invite you to stand. I invite you to sing with this song of invitation. Take this time to respond to the Holy Spirit. If that means praying where you are, going to reconcile with somebody right now, coming down to the altar, coming to pray, coming to join the church, coming to trust in Jesus for the first time, however the Holy Spirit moves. You respond in obedience.
Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for worshiping. Hope that you have a great afternoon.